The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. We've had some great, some really fun guests on Media Noise since we started including guests from time to time in the podcast. Uh, earlier this year, right? Michael K was our first one right after the NCAA tournament. Uh, we also had Kirk Herbstreet. We had Brady Quinn. But we haven't had somebody with as much impact on the business and a whole generation of broadcasters uh, until now. Bob Costas was kind enough to give me a little over a half hour of his time earlier this week, and I don't want to deprive you guys of any of our conversation. We talked about his relationship with baseball. We talked about uh, where he's at in his career. We talked about the new HBO show. Um, I'm going to bring you the whole thing in two parts. The first episode is obviously this one that is out right now. The second one will drop the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So if you are doing any driving on that Thursday, you've got something to take along for company. I will get out of the way. Uh, No, uh, but first this week, let's jump right into the interview that starts in a place you probably are not expecting. So I am going to obviously get to the HBO show and calling, or I guess hosting uh, the playoffs on Turner, but I'm going to start somewhere that I don't think you start a lot of interviews. Have you ever thought about how much influence your performance in basketball had on broadcasters my age? I don't know if it had any influence, really, on how broadcasters ultimately <laughs> uh, carved out their career path, but I know that it was popular among sports fans and maybe even more so future broadcasters of a certain age. If you were somewhere between 12 and 20, let's say, <laughs> right. in the late 1990s, um, then that film was probably more popular with that demographic than its actual quality would indicate. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, I will tell you, I will defend the idea that it did influence us by saying, I think, you know, we certainly, so I was 16 when that movie came out. So certainly we saw uh, Sports Center turn into what it did with Dan and Keith um, mm-hmm. in our early teens, right? But I don't know that we had ever seen two people in you and Al Michaels thought of as the very best or amongst the very best at doing what you do, allow themselves to be funny and to be the butt of the joke before. Yeah. Well, in truth, you know, I had been on David Letterman a lot and Conan O'Brien and on Saturday Night Live. Uh, So I think that people knew uh, that I was willing to poke fun at myself and willing to be lighthearted if the circumstance uh, was appropriate. But this obviously was an entire movie (laughs) devoted to that. And in truth, as absurd as it was, and let's be fair, it was uneven in its quality. There were a lot of very funny moments, and then there were others that should have wound up on the cutting room floor, perhaps. (laughs) But the Zucker brothers were on to something. The opening segment there, before any famous people are seen, that kind of parodied the absurd excesses of modern sports even then in the late 90s. All of that stuff was true then and even more true in the ensuing years. So it was actually prescient in that part. What What drew me... Yeah, go ahead. No, that's exactly what I was about to ask you. What made you decide to uh, be a part of the movie? Well, 
the Zucker brothers had done Airplane, which right. is still one of the funniest movies ever, and the whole Naked Gun series with Leslie Nielsen, and that stuff was great too. And they had invited me to be part of the Naked Gun movie that includes all the scenes at Anaheim Stadium. Mm -hmm. And one of the scenes is where they pan across the broadcast booth. And again, uh, a send-up of the idea that you need, like, a battalion of people to call a ball game. <laughs> so it starts out, who, I, I forget who was first. Hi, everybody, I'm Kurt Gowdy, along with Mel Allen, Pat Summerall, Jack Whitaker, <laughs> Dick Enberg, dumping down the line until they just ran out of space on the booth and the last guy's, like, falling off the end of the, of the bench. <laughs> and so I was supposed to be part of that, and I wanted to do it, and I had some kind of conflict and couldn't. So I said to them, well, if you ever have another project, let me know. So they send the script for basketball, and I have to give my late agent, Barry Frank, credit. He told me, he read it over, he said, I don't think this is very good. I don't think you should do it. So at that point, I'm a guy in my 40s, so I'm thinking, ah, he's an older guy. He's not hip to what's going on. He doesn't get it. You know, I, 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 I know what's happening here. I'm the cool guy here. I'm, I'm going to do this, okay? So now they tell me Al is reluctant. And Al and I were acquainted. We weren't yet close friends, and mm. we'd never worked together, but there was mutual regard. So I call Al. I say, look, this is our one chance to work together. It'll be fun, and I'm the guy who has to fly across country. This is just a car ride view. He says, okay, fine, we'll do it. So we do it, and it starts out. It was the last day of shooting. They'd shot all the other scenes. So we never crossed paths with any of the other broadcasters who were in it, any of the stars who were in it, athletes. It was just the two of us. But they needed our scenes, since you seem to know this movie pretty well, they <laughs> needed our scenes to tie the movie together. Without us, they didn't have any connective tissue to go from one part of the, the story to the next. So we're doing this, and at the beginning it seems like it's fun, and then they're tossing some lines our way, and you can't believe, even though there was one line that's attached to me, <laughs> that they used... They use in the trailer and the and the couple of commercials that ran on television. Right, before the you think you're excited? Straight. Check out these nipples. Correct, <laughs> or, or that's a close to a direct quote. <laughs> and so now, when we take a break for lunch, Al says to me, "You know, this this may be going sideways here. I don't think it's going to be very good." And I say to Al, "Well, at, at least it pays well." And he looks at me. <laughs> And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's more than fair. He says, what are you getting? I said, what are you getting? He goes, let's flip a coin, and the loser goes first. <laughs> and it turns out I was getting five times as much as he was, <laughs> because at least my agent, who didn't want me to do it, was determined, if you're going to make him do it, you're going to pay through the nose. So he had gotten a much better deal. Now Al, who doesn't like to be one-upped, goes berserk, right? <laughs> he gets on the phone to his own agent. He says, you got to get me what Costas is getting, or I'm going to walk. And the, the people, the producers say, hey, he signed a contract. Screw him. <laughs> we're, we're not budging. Al says, okay, I'm leaving. Now they realize the leverage is with him because they need these scenes or they've got right. no movie. There's no way they can cut us out. So now they have to capitulate. And Al knows that he's got, he's got them over a barrel, so now he's going to, in effect, exact punitive damages. <laughs> so I was getting five times more than him. But in the end, he got a little bit extra beyond what I got, just to say that he, you know, he was made completely whole. So anyway, um, I can look back on it uh, with 
you know, it was it was fun. People get a kick out of it. No harm done. You know, and, and there were some genuinely funny scenes. Yeah, I, I, th- I think uh, saying it is uneven is beyond fair. I, I, I started watching it. Uh, I, I guess what you and I started talking about doing this about a month and a half ago or so. So that's probably about uh, how long ago I watched it. And boy, it does not hold up. Uh, so so calling it uneven <laughs> is uh, is more than fair. All right, let's switch. Yeah, but from... if you wanted just 20 minutes, if that's you took true. the best 20 minutes, pretty funny. <laughs> that's right. It would have been a great sitcom episode. Uh, let's, uh, let's shift from basketball to baseball. Did you enjoy being a part of playoff coverage this year? Did you feel any pressure at all going back into that environment? No, it had only been a year removed mm-hmm. from it. I didn't do any games at all in 2020, and it is difficult uh, when you're parachuting in, um, when you haven't done games with the same partners either at all or in a while, um, and when you're just doing a single game of a series, it, it's it's difficult uh, because especially the fans of that those two teams know those teams better than you do, right. especially in these circumstances because of the 60-game 2020 season and the fact that for much of the 2021 season we're doing games from a studio, so we're not really interacting with players and managers and, and the other people in the media that normally you'd be rubbing shoulders with and getting some intel from. So that part was a little bit difficult for the one game that I did, but when when uh, Turner asked me, mm-hmm. because Ernie Johnson had the conflict with the NBA overlapping uh, the LCS, when they asked me to host, that I enjoyed very much because we did every game. And you're there a few days before, you're getting acclimated, plus you're watching the Division Series games. So I'd watch the Dodgers much of the year, then I watch all five games they play against the Giants, plus the wild card game they played against the Cardinals, and I watched the Braves and their four games against the Brewers. So I'm up to speed at, at that point. Um, and then you're around every game. So the story builds. There's a narrative not just of each game, but there's a narrative of the whole series, and you're observing every pitch of it. So you feel like you're, you're at the center of it. Plus, that kind of programming is stuff I've done my entire life, and baseball is my thing, pretty much. So it's just like riding a bike. I'd never worked with these three guys before, Pedro Martinez and Curtis Granderson and Jimmy Rollins, but they're all great guys. They're all good on the air. Uh, Turner's approach, uh, which is kind of set in place because of the success of Inside the NBA, mm-hmm. is that, yeah, you've got to have a format, but it's not a rigid format. Just let guys riff a little bit. Let them be spontaneous. Never use the teleprompter except for a couple of sponsor reads the entire time. It wasn't a, a single thing that wasn't ad-libbed other than the specific sponsor reads. And that kind of freedom uh, to, to freewheel uh, was, was something I enjoyed very much. Plus, I enjoyed the company of the other three guys. So you mentioned that baseball is your thing. I often hear you labeled as a seam head or a baseball purist, and I wonder how that comes across to you. I, I sometimes feel like that term is thrown around as a way of saying out of touch in the larger sense of sports, but I don't think that particular connotation describes you at all. No, it, do- it doesn't, but people like easy labels. Sure, and they're, sure. often confounded, they're often confounded by people whose work has texture and variety to it. So, um, you know, there's a part of me that is uh, 
nostalgic about mm-hmm. baseball history, but I was the first person in the 1980s to put Bill James on the air and to talk about sabermetrics and what is now called analytics. I'm not hostile to that at yeah. all. My whole approach to baseball and almost everything I do is more nuanced than easy labels can do justice to. But people like easy labels, especially if it allows them to get out their own lame, snide remarks about somebody. And so it's easier, (laughs) if that's your objective, to have that person be a straw man. I get it, and it's not a big deal. You recently said that you wanted to call some minor league games before you were ready to retire. I wonder how many teams reached out to you or your representatives like the day that interview dropped. A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, Probably over the last few years when I've sometimes mentioned that. And I'm done mentioning it, not because it isn't true, but because, because the inbox keeps filling up. Uh, but at, at, least, at least nine or ten uh, individual minor league teams have been kind enough to say, hey, uh, open invitation whenever you want to show up for a couple of games, for a series of games, whatever you want to do. And if I ever do it, and it's a matter of having it fit and work into whatever else you're doing in your career and in your life. But if I ever did it, I would never want to displace or overshadow anyone else. Somebody is doing these games for the Savannah Bananas, the Chattanooga (laughs) Lookouts, the Toledo Mudhens, uh, the Asheville Tourists, the Greenville Drive, the, the Durham Bulls. Someone is doing those games the Albuquerque isotopes. I want to think of every team that's, right. <laughs> that's contacted me. Um, somebody, somebody is doing those games as their craft. It's either where they've settled in in their career mm-hmm. or it's a step on the ladder to something beyond that. And they deserve all the respect that what they have put into it, not just with their heart and soul, not just craftsmanship, but emotionally what they put into it. So if I can't enhance that in some way, if I overshadow somebody or make them feel uncomfortable, then I don't want to do it. Is there a minor league baseball name that you would love to wax nostalgic about? Perhaps talk about the the storied history of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp or the Rocket City Trash Pandas. And was the the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes? Right, is another one, right? Right, yeah, that is another one. Uh, the Down East and Wood Ducks I, is one not far from me. Yeah, you know, I thought, and uh, isn't there a team called the Sand Nats? Uh, Savannah, uh, I think they are no longer in existence, but they were in Savannah. Oh, what a tragedy! <laughs> um, you know, I'm told, and this may be apocryphal. I don't know if it was a minor league team in baseball or if it was uh, a minor league hockey team no longer exists but there was a team in macon georgia that was called the macon whoopies the macon whoopies that was minor league hockey they uh so i grew up in mobile alabama we had the mobile mystics spelt my sticks um and the whoopies came often and i remember the oldie station that carried the mystics would not say macon whoopies on the radio scandalous (laughs) scandalous <laughs> hey man deep south morals that's what it is so but speaking of alabama and the deep south eli gold the longtime voice of the crimson tide was a colleague of mine when we were both starting out in the old eastern hockey league right the league that the paul newman movie Slapshot is based on i was the voice of the syracuse blazers and eli was the radio voice of the long island ducks very cool 
Very cool connection there. Uh, let's uh, let's shift uh, back to baseball real quick because we we talked about um, this idea that that you don't see baseball in a vacuum. You are not uh, you are nostalgic, but not a slave to that nostalgia. I wonder Correct. what you thought about that story that Barstool had reached out to Major League Baseball about carrying the midweek games, and there was you know there's some dispute about how much interest. Major League Baseball actually had in that. I wonder if that turned you off because of Barstool's reputation or if it would have been mm-hmm. something that you see as a, as a necessity to build in a younger fan base. Well, I'm not dodging the question, but I don't know enough about the particulars of what they proposed to do. Yeah. Um, if it was strictly the what I perceive to be, and I haven't paid close attention, what I perceive to be kind of the barstool sensibility, mm-hmm. that probably would not be my favorite thing. But it would, it would depend. I mean, they could adjust to baseball. Baseball could meet them in the middle. It could be an ancillary thing. I'm not comparing it in potential quality. But the Manning cast is an ancillary thing. You've right. got the standard broadcast, and you've got that. Um, and so, And I think you're going to see more and more of that as the technology allows it and as the research, which is more and more sophisticated, is able to pinpoint certain portions of a potential audience. This demographic or people with this interest would like it presented this way, and most people would like it presented that way, and that's what the mainstream broadcast is for. So I don't reject the concept out of hand, but to tell you how I feel about it, I'd have to see, I'd have to see it in a actually play out and see what it was like no that's i mean that's a really good point like i think all any of us that were not on that call know is barstool called major league baseball the end mm-hmm. so, and that's that's all i know you know as much as i do yeah. <laughs> all right perfect place to pause episode one or part one of this interview remember part two is out on wednesday so be sure and download it take it with you on your Thanksgiving drive. We'll talk to you then. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.